the good and perfect Creator God made people His final, very good creation so that He could bless them, so that He could bless us in a continuous, close relationship with them, with people, with us. And as long as people recognize that he is the source of all that is good, they will be blessed by the covenant God. The creator God is the covenant God. But the fly in the ointment that opposes God's good intention for his creation is that people tend to worship what was created by God uh, I'm sorry. This is what we're supposed to do. The flying, the ointment is what we don't do. Okay? We end up, we worship that which God has created when we should be worshiping the Creator. We worship what we can see, not God who is invisible. Now, also it says that. People have become, have just become futile, futile in their reasoning through foolish hearts of darkness. Paul has much of this in Romans chapter 1. Forsaking God by worshiping idols leads to experiencing his person. And as I prepare for this message, it's probably the most difficult one I've preached in I don't know how long. It's not pleasant to think that God has to curse us when we're disobedient. We get the curses rather than the blessings when we do this. But the sad truth, and John mentions this in his gospel, the light has come into the world, but the people loved darkness rather than the light. There's something in us people. So today's Deuteronomy passage, which we heard, begins a long list of curses that come upon people who forsake God to follow other gods and idols. What is an idol? I'll give you a definition again. An idol is anything anything whatsoever in our lives that distracts us from single-minded focus on God so that we no longer love Him more than anything at all, love Him with all that is in us. And I want to add this. It came to me this morning. If God makes us aware of anything or any activity that we partake in that diminishes our love for him, we must pray to lay it aside. We must crucify that thing or that activity because we should not let anything distract us from God and our relationship with him. Every curse that we heard this morning, if you would look at all of Deuteronomy 28, it counters a blessing for obedient faith, which is described in the passages preceding this. And also, if you were to look at this whole chapter, 
The length of Tarsus is four times the length of the blessing. And many people have said this, and I've heard teachings going all the way back to when I was a young Christian, that God does this because the natural human tendency to forsake God and rebel against him is stronger than our commitment to follow him by daily taking up his cross and joining with him as we crucify our sins. So, we all need to surrender our lives to Jesus, the Redeemer, and we will come into that more later, who came as, in the words of Isaiah and the Gospels, the great light to a people walking in deep darkness. So with this introduction and background, let's examine our passage, but we're also going to look at a prophet and an apostle as we work through this passage. But the first half can be summed up. Those who do not obey the covenant God, Yahweh, will be cursed and perish because they have forgotten or forsaken him. Those who don't keep all of God's commandments will be cursed in four ways. So again, the context, if you have your Bibles open, just look back up to verse 14. The final blessing ends with a warning not to go after other gods, to serve them. This would also include not worshiping idols. The first two of the Ten Great Commandments are you shall have no other gods and you shall not make an idol. Those are the first two. So our first verse tells us that if we will not listen to Yahweh to keep all his commandments and his statutes, these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Now, we heard cursed or cursed is he, da 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 da, and where will they be cursed? Well, a cursed person in biblical language is someone who has been bound up to be excluded from blessing. We don't realize it, but when we go our own way, we're slaves to sin. We're bound up in disobedience. And therefore, we forfeit the blessings of God. Now, the four ways you will be cursed in the city or in the field. In other words, everywhere you are, it doesn't matter where you locate yourself, if you forsake God, curse him. Where can I flee from your presence? And their bread basket and their kneading bowl will be cursed. In other words, they will be denied the most basic of food, bread. We pray, give us this day our daily bread, but don't forsake God. And the fruit of their body, the fruit of the ground, and the fruit of animals is all cursed without children, without food, without animals. We have no future hope. 
Even though we're not an agricultural society anymore, we still need all of this. And they will be cursed both in their coming in and in their going out. Now think about this. Every single activity will be cursed. That means people will have no purpose, no meaning in life. That's the fourfold curse. And then Yahweh goes on to say that he will send curses because they've forsaken him until he has consumed them from the land. And then there's a whole laundry list here. Yahweh will send on you curses, confusion, rebuke in all you do, activities again, until you are destroyed and you perish quickly because of your evil works. Bottom line, because you've forsaken me. They have departed from the presence of God. They're neglecting him. They're abandoning him. How many times do we get caught up in other things and neglect to remember God? And then Yahweh will bring a plague upon them until he has consumed them from the land they were entering to possess. Remember, these are the last words of Moses before Joshua led them over the Jordan River. This word consumed means literally eaten alive. So this means their bodies, their very bodies are going to waste away. And then Yahweh goes on and takes it up a notch. He says, I will smite my idolatrous people in every way until they grope in darkness, continually oppressed without a Savior. So they will be smitten by disease, nature, and people to death. First of all, he will smite them with consumption, fever, inflammation, burning heat. These are various diseases. He will strike them with destroying disease. And then heaven over their head will be bronze. And the earth under their feet will be iron. And Yahweh will make rain to be powder. And also dust from heaven will come down on the earth until you are destroyed. So God will undo the very fruitfulness of creation, devastating them to destruction. And then Yahweh will strike them by their enemies. They will go out and they will flee in seven directions. That means every which way. They will be totally scattered. So finally, Yahweh will give his people over to be... Uh, taken by other people, by enemies. Bottom line, the dead body, their carcass, will be food for birds and beasts. So the first result of this smiting them will be judgment of the death of some of the people. And then they will be smitten in the body, mind, and heart to darkness continually oppressed without a savior. So Yahweh will smite them with the sixth plague that the Egyptians experienced, namely boils on their body. 
And then they will also have hemorrhoids, itchy scabs. It can't be healed. No healing. He will bring painful conditions all over the skin of their body. Now, they will deserve it, unlike Job, who experienced a similar thing. I'm reading that book right now. Then Yahweh will smite you with madness. Now, the, the word that's used here for madness is rare in the Bible. But it means to have the mind overtaken with wild, helpless panic. And I'll give you two examples from Scripture of this word, the two biggest examples. Remember when Yehu was anointed by the prophet to wipe out Ahab's house? And as he's wildly taking his chariot around to wipe everybody out, he says, come with me and see how I'll destroy him. He, he was insane with carrying out the execution of Ahab. And then David, when he was among the Philistines and King Achish, was threatening him, and he didn't know how he was going to escape. He pretended to be a madman. That's what will happen. Yahweh will make the minds of these idolaters frantically useless. And then thirdly, he will make them to have a bewildered heart. Now, Proverbs tells us that a healthy heart will give life to our body. But also, when understanding is darkened, the heart is blind to God and becomes alienated. That's in Ephesians. And then they will grope at midday in the darkness. Picture being blind, not able to see anything, just reaching out your hands. What's going on? They will not prosper, but only be oppressed and continually robbed by others. This paragraph graphically describes the curse of darkness, what it is like for idolaters to have this curse of darkness. Idolatry brings the curse of darkness from God. And then this passage ends, and no Savior. They are unsaved. They have turned their backs on the only one who could save them from these curses. And let's not just think about them. Since we all, we all tend to worship false gods. We all need the Savior Jesus to redeem us from the curse. We all need redemption from the curse. Now, we've come to the end of this, and it's pretty devastating. But I can't end here, because we all know the Redeemer has come. So we're going to look at the Redeemer through a prophet and an apostle. Let me just give you two scriptures. Peter, as he was summarizing his second letter, he said, I'm writing to you so you remember the words spoken by the prophets and the apostles of our Lord. And then Paul said, the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. 
So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Isaiah 63. And we're going to look at verses 7 through 17. And what we have here in summary is the love and mercy of Yahweh redeems his people even after they rebel and grieve him. So this is given in reverse order. The good news of Yahweh's redemption after they have rebelled. So he says, in love and mercy, Yahweh redeems his people even after they rebel and grieve them. Okay. Now, verse 7, the prophet will remember Yahweh's steadfast, strong love given to all Israel in his compassion. People, this is grace. God has been gracious for all of eternity. Steadfast love, goodness, compassion, they're all gracious gifts of God for his children. And then he became savior to his people. He was afflicted in their affliction to redeem them in love and pity. God's people needed redemption because Isaiah is talking about their curse for idolatry made them exiles in Babylon. We all need redemption from the curse. And now we get into the problem. They rebelled against his Holy Spirit. So he fought them as their enemy. And then they remembered the days of Moses, asking, where is the wonder-working God, the God we heard about last week? So ever since the time of the divided kingdom, all but a very small remnant of God's people were caught up in idolatry, forsaking Yahweh. But, thank God for the Holy Spirit, he was convicting them and made them remember the wondrous redemption from slavery under Moses. Now, they said through several questions in this part of the chapter, where is God? Their questions are all misguided. God never moves. Don't ask where he is when you're not where you're supposed to be. When we're in the wrong place, it's we who have moved. We need to come back to God. And the prophet asked Yahweh to see from his holy place. And then he questions his compassion and zeal. And then calling him Redeemer, again, this theme of redemption, he confesses that the people now in no way resemble the patriarchs, Abraham, Israel, the 12 tribes, back in the day, were not that way anymore. So why did you harden us to stray from your way, return for your servants' sake, and restore your sanctuary? So this is petitionary prayer. Isaiah requests Yahweh to see his people's plight. He desires to experience his compassion. He calls him Redeemer. He's requesting redemption for his wayward people. And then in asking Yahweh to both turn and return to them, he's asking this so that they may turn to him in repentance. 
And then he goes on, we become like those you never know. And your name is not on us. Their hard, dark hearts cannot submit to God's rule. And they've lost their covenant relationship with him. They confess they deserve this curse because they've been serving other gods and idols. Idolatry keeps the curse of darkness, the darkness from God. It brings it. Now, we will go uh, flip forward all the way to 1 Peter chapter 1. And we're going to consider what was written here. This can be summed up. If we fix ourselves on the grace in Jesus Christ, we'll be delivered from lust by redemption with his blood. So Peter says, be sober. Hope in the grace brought of the Savior, not being conformed to your former lusts. Now here's a strong warning as he starts off. As all people who are now in Christ and living by his grace, Remember, we were once living in the lusts of darkness and serving whatever our hearts desire. We were once cursed by God. Again, idolatry, it leads to cursing, to cursing from God and darkness. Darkness is the thing here because God who calls you is holy. You're to live in holiness because he is holy. I'm going to be very general, but here's an application that I think is very timely for this very hour we are living in. As our world becomes more evil, we must be holy as God is holy, and we must be standing up and promoting both life and morality in this culture of death and immorality. And then we will be light and darkness, just as Jesus is the light in the darkness. And as we call on a Father who judges impartially, we must fear, knowing we're redeemed from our useless way of life by the blood of the spotless Lamb, the Messiah. We are redeemed by surrender obedient faith in the death of our Savior on the cross for us. You see, we all need redemption from cursing and darkness. And he was foreknown before creation, but revealed in the church age to those who believe in God who raised him from the dead so that our faith and our hope is in God. Notice this, faith and hope in God. What's the source of faith and hope? Anyone whose faith and hope is in himself is a fool. Period. The only one to have faith and hope in is the covenant creator, God, who became human to save us from the darkness that's in our hearts and that our souls being purified in the obedience of the truth we must earnestly love one another 
from innocent hearts because we've been born again by the living and enduring Word of God, Jesus Christ, who's spoken of throughout Scripture. The Holy Spirit gave God's Word so people may be redeemed by receiving new birth into faithful obedience to God. And until we're redeemed, we're under the curse on people who are giving in to ungodly lust. We all need redemption from the curse. And then Peter, um, he goes on and on, but he, he quotes, um, you can look at the footnote, he uh, quotes from uh, uh, the Word of God stands forever, that's Isaiah. He quotes back to Isaiah we just looked at, that without God's redemption, we dry up and fall away just like flowers and grass in the field that are parched by the sun. You see, we're now where our Deuteronomy passage ended. On our own, we're inclined to serve other gods and idols in the darkness of our hearts, and it leaves us cursed by God. Idolatry brings the curse of darkness from God. So, We've come to the end of the scripture. Now, please hear me. Are you sure you have received God's redemption from rebellion and lust, bought by the lifeblood of the Savior, Jesus Christ? If so, fine. But please hear this. If not, you must recognize the darkness and lust in your heart and admit you need God. Secondly, you must decide you want to live for God and his desires rather than for yourself and your own desires. Third, you must be convinced that God sent Jesus to die for you in your place and that he rose from the dead to give you his life. Fourth, you must admit your failure to God. Fifth, tell him you want to live his way. Sixth, Ask him to be forgiven and cleansed by Jesus' death, seventh, to receive his resurrected life. And then finally, ask him to help you to live in humble, surrendered, obedient faith to him every day of our lives. That's what Jesus Christ offers us. We need to receive it and live in it every day. Because our Deuteronomy passage teaches us that all who do not obey the covenant of God will perish because they have forsaken him with idols. They will be smitten in every way, cursed to grope in darkness without a savior, unredeemed. Idolatry brings the curse of darkness from God. 